Hello and welcome to another edition of the Patriot Preacher podcast. Uh, I'm the Patriot Preacher. My name's Dan Fraley. If you've been following with us for a lo- uh, for a while now, you'll know that the subject that we're talking about this evening and what we're introducing now is, of course, the family and how the family is affected in today's country, what's going on in this country that affects the family the most, and mostly uh, what God's Word says about uh, the family. This evening, I have with me Brother Micah Robertson. Uh, Micah, do you care to tell them a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure thing. Uh, appreciate you having me on with you, Dan. Um, my name is Micah Robertson. I was working as an evangelist in Martinsville, Virginia. I'm now currently living in uh, Henderson, Tennessee, assembling with the Brethren of the Mount Zion Congregation in Savannah, Tennessee. Uh, just kind of filling in, uh, helping out where I can right now. Uh, I've been doing some Bible classes for those Brethren in uh, Genesis and helping out uh, Brother Dan here with some of his uh, Facebook classes uh, that he's doing, Facebook streams and also, whenever he invites me to come on uh, this podcast, so I'm helping him out with, with that. Yeah, and that's excellent. Uh, if you notice here, uh, I've had Micah with me in the studio once uh, once or twice. I've uh, Zoomed him in, and so this time it's actually he's on a phone call. And so uh, that really doesn't affect the podcast, as you can tell, too much. Uh, as long as you can hear him and understand him well, uh, we'll get some feedback from that. But the live stream that we did, together just last night with him calling in sounded really good so i thought that this would be a good opportunity to invite micah on the podcast simply because he has so much knowledge about this topic that we're getting ready to talk about in fact when i first uh, thought of this topic about the family if you if you've been following the podcast you know that this is the second topic that we've studied the first uh, the first study that we did was of course was on suicide and suicide awareness and we had a couple of different guests that helped me out with that and so when I talk about the family I invited brother Micah to uh, participate in this and hopefully Micah you'll be willing to do more podcasts with me on on different topics and so there's more people that I want to get involved in this and so I'm thankful for that and so now uh, Micah we're getting ready to talk about the family, and of course, one of the one of my favorite passages in the Bible when we're talking about the family, of course, is Ephesians five, uh, and that of course gives instruction to how the father is supposed to love the mother, or the husband is supposed to love the wife, just as Christ loved the church. The wife is supposed to be submissive to the husband in all things, and then you get over to Ephesians chapter six. And it gives us an idea of how the children are supposed to be raised a little bit. And, of course, uh, I know there's other scriptures, Micah. Do you have, do you have some ideas? Well, um, just, to, you know, just aside from the passages that specifically talk about, okay, here's how parents treat their children, here's how children treat their parents, just the overwhelming uh, biblical accounts where we have record of, different individuals families yeah and and so even though there's no specifics of one two three four you know this is how the family is to operate we can learn from these individuals experiences um uh, like for example you have uh uh, isaac and uh rebecca and they are showing favoritism uh with their children well you know it's not 
specifically laid out that way, but as we're reading that, we can see it. Isaac loved uh, Esau, Rebecca loved Jacob, and you have you have a divide that ends up being produced within the family. So we learn right there, okay, do not show favoritism towards your children. Yeah. Love them love yeah. them equally. And, you know, that can be shown from the passages that you just mentioned. Um, so it's you know, it's a lot of you know, when we're considering the New Testament uh, New Testament commands that are given to us, we can go back and read in the Old Testament and find Old Testament applications. Yeah, I was getting ready to say, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, when when God made woman, out, took a rib out of man and breathed the breath of life into man, and then, he, of course, he, uh, he makes woman from man from a rib. And then, of course, the last verse in that chapter is, of course, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And right. S- and so uh, from that point, uh, you can kind of get an idea of how the family or how the, I guess, the structure. When I say structure, I mean God's structure of the family and how it should be. Is that right? That's right. And I'm really glad that you uh, described it that way, uh, Dan, because, as we, you know, as we're going to be discussing this evening, the importance of the the home and the family structure as God has established it, and that you know we're going to be discussing how that a home is to be made up of a husband and a wife and children. Well, you know, some might argue that even you know homes that have a mother and a father in it may not still you know may still not be a a proper home. And that's absolutely right, because even if you have a mother and a father inside of the home that are not following what the Bible says a home is to be, well, then even if you have both parents there, the home is still going to struggle. Yeah. So, do, you, do you have examples of that, Micah, that you could share with us? Oh, uh, well, I mean, Lauren, just, you know, like we mentioned a moment ago with Isaac and Rebecca, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a home that has a mother and a father in it. But because of uh, favoritism, it you know produces a divide in the in the family, and one of the sons has to be sent away because the other you know the brother wants to kill him. Yeah, their um, actions. Yeah, their actions determine uh, a lot. Right. Yeah. So you know, and that's one of the things I wanted to uh, kind of point out in you know early on in our discussion. Uh, oftentimes, when we discuss these matters of breakdown of society and you know different things and problems that are in society, we in you know these short talks that we have we want to discuss we maybe discuss one topic and we discuss it as well you know this this being the problem when in reality it's a you know it's it's a many faceted area of problems that are connected with it um it's not just these yeah so it's almost systemic that's right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah almost yeah almost um you know if it's it's not just a matter of the home. It's also a matter of the, you know, the school system. Uh, you know, like you're wanting to mention, uh, discuss this evening about the, you know, the welfare system. Okay, that's that's a part of it. It's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving pieces to this that um, that end up, uh, you know, just making making the situation worse if if we can put it that way. So, yeah, and so the, the welfare system was designed. I'm glad you brought that up because it was designed to help single parent families is that right well originally the welfare system was started shortly after the great depression Mm -hmm. and so so right there we can see that it had a 
you know, it had a good design behind it. But the problem is, is that good intentions do not bring about good results. And the numbers, you know, the facts actually show that during the time frame of the Great Depression or about a year after the Depression hit, the uh, unemployment rate was actually starting to go down. And that was before any government involvement. Right. Now, so just, you know, right there that shows, okay, within a year, if you just leave the system alone, it will begin to work itself out. And and within that year, the unemployment rate stayed in the single digits. Well, guess what happened when the government decided to institute the welfare system for these individuals that were unemployed? For the first time in this country, unemployment went into double digits. Yeah, that's crazy. And it, and it did not come down. So yeah, that, that, you know, that's that shows what happens when you start implementing these, you know, these systems of, well, we're going to take care of you. We're going to provide this for you. Well, if you're going to do that, then just do that. And I, I won't work. Um, you know, we're seeing, we're actually seeing that to a small degree with the stimulus check that uh, our current president, president Trump and his administration uh, sent out. Now, right. now on one hand, I would I appreciated it because I am you know I'm working and to get that little bit of assistance while I'm also working it went a long way you know for me yeah but at the same time what is it also doing well it's further enabling more people that are unemployed to stay unemployed and they're waiting for the next round of stimulus checks yeah that was the word I was looking for right there enabling that's you know principle that is not found in the Bible at all when you talk about the welfare system in, in and of itself. What does the Bible say? Well, you don't work, you don't eat. And right. so um, to a degree, I can understand the, the the Christian point of view of, yes, we are to help our brethren and look out for the widows, James 1, 25 through 27, pure and undefiled religion. But right. at the same time, the principle is there that you must work for what you get. Is that correct? That is correct. And in fact, you know, since you brought up uh, the widows there, when Paul wrote to uh, Timothy, uh, it's either in First Timothy or Second Timothy, and he ends up discussing widows again, he actually lays out some parameters as to what kind of widows you're actually supposed to help. Right. Uh, uh, it's First Timothy chapter five. If a you know if a widow is under a certain age, you do not help that widow. If, uh, if a widow actually has children, you do not give assistance to that widow. You let the children, you let, you let the, the family take care of the widow. It, you know, it, so it comes down to a measure of vetting and investigation to make sure that you're actually helping people that are in need. Yeah. And thus with, you know, with the government, do you think they're going <laughs> do you think they're being as careful? With you know, with the with the funds that they're sending out, no, they're just whole they're just wholesale, uh, you know, sending out these uh, uh, these systems to individuals that are going to take advantage of it. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, Kentucky is one of the states that actually now require a, I guess, uh, a blood test, a drug test. Uh, I want to say not blood, but a urine test, a drug test. And if they test positive on this drug test, from what I understand, that they are not allowed government assistance. And so, that is fantastic. 
Yeah, Kentucky is one of the few states uh, that are doing that, and it's for the reasons that you just said. They don't want people taking advantage of the system, and, and you're right. The government does not check. <laughs> so. And, you know, who has to end up paying for that? Well, that's me, you know, me, you, and different ones that are actually out here working to, you know, to cover for these, you know, these government systems that are, that have been put into place. And so what does that, what does that do to my work ethic? Well, if, if I didn't have what the Bible says that, you know, no matter what, I'm supposed to do my work as though it's work unto the Lord. That would really hurt my desire to get up in the morning and go to work. Yeah, that's exactly. Now you're, you're diving into the realm of, you know, the, the psychology of socialism, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. exactly what socialism does, uh, aside from uh, relying on the government, because what socialism really is is a taking God out of everything and substituting God or substituting government for God. And so you, you begin to rely on government for your, all your needs, and uh, it takes away the work ethic completely because what happens is when people start to work in a socialistic government and they find that they're getting all of their, they're getting taxed beyond belief, they're getting all their wages that they earn taken away and given to someone else without cause, whether the other person is working or not. So basically what they try to do is equal out the pay for everybody, whether they're working or not. And just Mm -hmm. like, just like you said, it, it destroys the work ethic because if a person knows that they're going to get the amount, you know, of somebody else that does work, they're not going to want to work. If they think they're going to get everything for free, and, and I like the way the government does that when they try to institute these programs. It's always government-assisted or government programs. or what, that, what people fail to realize when they say that, when they say stuff like that, is actually taxpayer-assisted, taxpayer-funded. The government just doesn't come up with that money, you know, magically, <laughs> they, they, they take it and they make government programs out of the taxes uh, that people pay in that, that work. And right. so that's, you know, that's kind of where that comes from. And so you can see Michael, where that's a big problem. And you can see also where, well, what, what are the families that qualify the most for the welfare system? Uh, it's, uh, it's usually the single single parent yeah. uh, households that, that end up qualifying for that. And, and so that, you know, that brings us back to your discussion or your question about uh, the welfare system in particular in 1960, when it started 1960, 1964 mm-hmm. with uh, Lyndon B. Johnson and his war on poverty. And, and really when we're discussing his, uh, you know, his institution or his, uh, statements of the war on poverty. It really is discussing. Uh, let me check here my my notes. Here here's an exact quote from his uh, from his speech in 1965 at Howard University. And you know, so again, he's trying to discuss. Well, we're having this war on poverty, this war on poverty. But when you listen to his speech, you can actually see that he's or you can hear that he's discussing a certain sector of society. So here's here's a quote from his 1965 speech. He says, freedom is not enough. You do not wipe away scars of centuries by saying, now you are free to go where you want. Choose leaders that you please. You do not take a person who for years has been hobbled by chains, 
liberate him, bring him up to the starting line of a race and say you are free to compete with all the others and still justly believe you have been completely fair. So, end quote. So in that section of the speech, you can hear very clearly what section of our, you know, of our society, of our country, he's actually discussing when he's saying that we're needing to end this war on poverty. Right. He's, you know, he's discussing the, the black community. Yep. And in the way that he is, in fact, describing them, and even in this speech, the problem that these individuals have is that they think that they have complete control. If you hear, if you listen to what he's saying, okay, we bring you up to the starting line. Well, that's pretty arrogant for you, you know, for you to think that you're so, you know, so far in control of my life that you can actually bring me up to the starting line. Yeah. So kind of what that does, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it does several things. First, it, it gives the black community a sense of, well, they're going to take care of me that sense. But there's another sense that it gives them is they don't have to really do anything that for themselves. They can rely on the government. Is Am I correct in, in saying that? That Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it, it, it not only gives them the sense of, okay, the government will take care of me, but it also gives them the, the idea of entitlement. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, I deserve for you to take care of me because of, you know, what happened. And this is in 1965. Um, you know, slavery had been ended for, um, I don't, at least what, maybe a hundred years. Yeah. A hundred years. Yeah. The war was 1861 and Kennedy or not Kennedy, uh, John F. Kennedy, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, I believe in 63 or 64 when the war, right after the war. So give or take 100, 101 years or so. Okay. Okay. So, so here we are 100 years later after the Civil War has ended and what still is the mindset of these, you know, these individuals, of, of this part of, of the, you know, this other elite part of society. We're going to take care of you. We are responsible. You know, here's, here's the problem in two points. Number one, number one, the problem of, Saying, well, white people are responsible for where they stand in the race. That's that's not exactly true, and especially in 1965, nobody in 1965 is guilty of anything uh, as to where they stand in the race. The second problem is that white people are going to fix it for you. So you still have white people being in control. With what Mr. Johnson is saying, with what Lyndon B. Johnson is saying, we yeah. are still in control, and we're going to help you get you, you know, get to where you need to be. That's a problem within itself. Yeah, and so if you think about that, I mean, I'm just sitting here listening to you talk about that, and think about it. It destroys the work ethic, just like we talked about earlier, and it incentivizes. Incentiv? Am I saying that right? Incentivizes. Yeah. Makes it an incentive. <laughs> to not do anything to rely on the government, right? That's, and so uh, that in and of itself, if, it, if the people that qualify the most are the single parents, I mean, I can see all kinds of problems arising from that. Of course, hindsight being twenty twenty, but that's exactly what happened. Has it not? Has problems not arisen from this idea? 
Indeed it has. And, and so let me say at this point too, Dan, I am no expert uh, when it comes to uh, this topic and this, uh, this material. Um, you know, as you said, I've just, I've been reading into it. Uh, Thomas Sowell is a super intelligent man when it comes to uh, these topics. He's in, uh, he's a, has a doctorate degree in economics, but he's written a, just all kinds of books dealing with race problems and disparities and how intellectuals um, view, you know, view these different things. Uh, a new author that I just recently uh, discovered, his name is Shelby Steele. He has at least three books out just recently. Did you uh, say Shelby Steele? You know, Shelby Steele? Yes. Okay. Yeah, S. T yeah S T E E L E, and uh, he is also a, a very intelligent gentleman uh, who and both you know both Thomas Sowell and Mr. Steele they are both uh, African American. Right. They grew up in the time frame. They grew up in the time frame of Jim Crow, and they saw segregation firsthand when they were when they were children. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the thing. But here's the thing about those gentlemen. Uh, you know, as I said, Thomas Sowell, he has a doctorate in economics. If, if there really is such a systemic problem in the United States that creates these, uh, you know, disparities between these two classes, then how is it that Mr. Sowell, a, a black man, is able to have a doctor's, you know, doctorate degree in economics? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. He it sounds to me like he did not go along with the common belief or the common lie that was being fed to him in the 1960s, and so that's what that's right. He and he, you know, he was actually born in the South. He dropped out of high school and moved to New York City, and he just, you know, he went to work. And you know, of course, his beginnings were very humble beginnings, but because he knew what it was he needed to do, go to work. And then on top of that, get a proper education. He was able to, you know, rise above this, you know, this issue that is plaguing our our country. And you know, Dan, it's not it's not a white or black problem. What we're discussing is is just a people problem. Yeah. You have some people. You have some people that come from. And, you know, this goes back to what I said earlier, that it's not just one, it's not one thing that we can really hone in on and say, okay, this is the problem. It comes from individuals that actually have the, you know, the upbringing, the raising from a family and from a culture that says, you do not have to play the victim. Yes, the victim mentality. Right. You can, in fact, go beyond that rise above that if you just find something that you have an interest in work hard at that interest and live live by you know a structured moral code that doesn't have you self-destructing yeah this is a yeah i was going to say this is a proven uh what's it called a a proven fact over and over again something that's proven (laughs) right and it you know, it's proven with these, you know, with these gentlemen, with, with Thomas Sowell and Shelby Steele and different ones that they, you know, when the when the deck was in in some situations, you know, stacked against them, but yet they were able to they were able to beat the odds. Well, it's not really a situation of beating the odds. It's just 
like you said, it's, it's what's tried and what's true. Yeah, those are. You go out. Yeah. You go out. You work hard. You you know save your money. You live a you know you live a good wholesome life, and you're you know more than likely you'll be taken care of. Yeah, you'll be able to uh, fix your own self and not rely on the government so much. Absolutely. And so, Mike, I'm going to go ahead and pause you right there. Uh, sounds to me like we have a lot more to discuss. <laughs> Uh, but for for this podcast, we have uh, come to uh, the end of it. Uh, our time has kind of run out here. And so uh, I want to encourage you to continue to uh, listen to our podcast. As you can see, we kind of get into a little bit of everything, religion, politics. Uh, currently, we're talking about the family and really the effects of what the welfare system has had on the family. And, and when we come back uh, next week, we're going to talk about single families and how the welfare encourages these things, encourages broken homes and broken families. And just as we pointed out in this segment here, it, it really did. Linda Baines Johnson, Linda B. Johnson actually targeted certain communities and he had an overwhelming negative effect on them. And so we'll talk more about that when we come back next week. Uh, Micah, do you have anything to add before we close here? Oh, no, I'm I'm afraid that I if I did, I would just start going on another tangent. So I'll just stop it there. <laughs> okay, we'll pause right here and we'll come back next week. Thank you guys for tuning in.